We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. All right. Uh, well, we're going to be in the book of Haggai. I know uh, Jared read Ephesians. I'll get there, I promise. There's, there's a point. Uh, there's a connection. Um, and when Mike asked me to do this, and with only knowing that we have a month left, I wasn't quite sure which direction and what I wanted to teach on tonight. <clears throat> um, so I thought we would look at something that was kind of left undone. Uh, if y'all remember the last longer series that we did before Luke was Ezra and Nehemiah. And one of the things we had thrown around and talked about is, well, can we do the prophetic literature also from that period and talk about what was going on from the prophets and their perspective during the period of Ezra and Nehemiah? So I thought we would look at Haggai today um, to kind of go off of that theme. Uh, And also it's kind of short. It's only two chapters. So we can actually do it in one night and get a whole sermon series in before we uh, shut down the evening service. So we're gonna look at at Haggai and try to go quickly through the whole thing and and see kind of the background of what Haggai is talking about and how his ministry complements Ezra and Nehemiah and and the chapters and books we looked at last year. So before we get started, well, who is Haggai? Well, he's called the prophet in seven of 11 occurrences in the Bible, so he's always references that. And his ministry is relatively short. If you look at Haggai, um, all of the messages are delivered within the space of about 15 weeks, all in the same year of 520. So he has a very narrow goal, narrow ministry, narrow time, but it's gonna have a huge impact on the people of God and what they're trying to accomplish. And what he's trying to accomplish is to get people back to building the temple. If y'all remember from our Ezra and Nehemiah series, there was, they started the temple, you had the first return, they laid the foundation, but then they stopped. The work was stopped due to opposition, due to a couple other things. And so God raised up the prophets, uh, Haggai being one of them, to encourage the people of God to finish what they started. We have a job to do and we need to do it, okay? And so Haggai is gonna try to encourage them to continue the work and to get things going. From, for 16 years, the work had stopped. From uh, 536 to about 520, they had laid the foundation, but that was it. We need to continue to go. Um, Structure of the book, just in general, like normally we'd have time to do a whole intro series, but I'm giving it in five minutes. Uh, it's based around four oracles, roughly, okay, four prophecies, uh, using the same kind of intro phrase. Uh, he uses this phrase where he talks about the date of the prophecy, so you know it's rooted in history, when it happened, what, it ha- what Haggai was trying to accomplish. And then they have this little phrasing here, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel and Joshua. So you'll see that in four different places. First at the beginning of chapter one. And so we're gonna look at that one and I'm gonna call that one the building of the temple. Then you're gonna, we're gonna look at chapter two, one through nine, where we see that phrase repeated again. We're gonna call that section the future of the temple. Then again in chapter two, verses 10 through 19, you have the people of the temple. Okay, these are my titles. Um, we're gonna look at that oracle where he again says the word of the Lord came. And then chapter two to the end, verse 20 through the end, the leader of the people. So he's gonna focus just on a prophecy to Zerubbabel. And so that's the general flow of the book and that's how we're gonna look at this, uh, this, this book, okay? So let's get started uh, with the first oracle, the building of the temple. 
So Haggai 1. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheathiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, and we'll get to that in a second. So just kind of introduction here. Uh, the second year, this is 520. This is about August 29th. It's kind of nice so you can get exact dates, and Haggai is doing that intentionally, so you know this happened, when it happened, uh, and then the completion later. <clears throat> and then I love this phrase, the word of the Lord came. God reaches out to his people, all right? God talks to us. And if you think about the situation here, what's the status of the people? They've stopped following the Lord. They've stopped building the temple. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. But does that stop God from coming and bringing his word, sending his prophet? Isn't that beautiful? Like, that he is going to come. The word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai. Um, and this is the first time since the return that the people receive a word from the Lord, that there's this break when they get exiled, you see some exilic prophets, but now they're back. This is the first prophet back in the land giving a prophecy, okay? And I love the characters here. You got a prophet, a priest, and a king, okay? Haggai the prophet speaking to the line of David, Zerubbabel, and the high priest, Joshua. And so it's a, a picture of, of the, what you need for a godly people, right? You need a prophet, priest, and king. Of course, that's only completed in who? Jesus, all right? So it's kind of a, a picture, if you will, uh, of that future hope. Um, verse two, this is what the Lord of hosts says. These people say, the time has not come, the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house remains desolate? Okay, uh, first off, Lord of hosts, he uses this phrase. This is his um, most used expression of who the Lord is, Lord of hosts. And I think he's doing that intentionally. He's reminding them of God's power. Who's ultimately in charge of all the nations, of all the world, who's sovereign over all things? The Lord of the hosts. And so he's gonna say that over and over again to say, hey, remember, you're not in this position because of Babylonians and Persians. God put you here. God is the one that exiled you, that used the Persians and the Babylonians to take you into exile. They're the ones, God's the one that got the Persians to let you come back. So don't be afraid because who's ultimately in charge? God. Do you need to worry about this opposition? Do you need to worry about these local guys that are trying to stop the building of the temple? No. Do you need to worry about the Persian kings? Who's ultimately the Lord of hosts, the one in charge? God, right? And so he's gonna use that phrase over and over again. And then he says, this is what the people are saying. The time has not come, the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. So they're basically using that as an excuse. We'll do it someday, Right? Have we ever used that in ministry? Like, oh, you know, I'm kind of busy right now. I don't, I don't think I can do that. I'll get to that someday, okay? Um, I work in the missions office, so I'll get people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm open to missions. 
No, you're not. Okay. Just be honest with me. You're doing ministry elsewhere. Um, But that's what the people are doing. They're kind of sidestepping what God has called them clearly to do and saying the time isn't at hand. Okay. Now, they could have legitimate reasons, like they don't have the resources, they're scared of opposition, they want to make sure they have a home to live in, and Haggai's going to basically come after them. Like, no, why are you, like, in verse four, why is it that you live and you're completed, you're paneled, you're decorated, you're completed houses while the house of the Lord is in ruins? Is that right? Is that the proper orientation of our lives? Me first, then God? Let me take God and see if I can fit him in somewhere. Okay, the time's not ready for me to minister. I need to do more study. I need to, I need to have more time in my schedule. I need to do this, that, I need to do that. Okay, you'll catch all the eyes. And so Haggai's challenging their focus. Why are you focused on yourself first and neglecting the house of God? Where, why is that wrong? Okay, and he uses these rhetorical questions all throughout Haggai to get them to think and to challenge their um, perceptions and what they're doing. Is it okay? Well, of course not. No one's gonna say, yeah, it's okay that we only focus on our houses. That's not what any follower of Christ would do, but he's reminding them of the problem here, okay? Um, Verse five, verse five. Now, then the Lord of hosts says this, consider your ways. You've shown much only to, you've sown much only to harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothes, but there's not enough for anyone to get warm. And the one who earns, earns wages, put into a money bag full of holes. Um, it kind of sounds like a, a parent, right? Consider your ways. Go sit in the corner and think about what you did. Right? Have y'all ever used that on your kids? I want you to sit and think about what you did, what you just said, okay? And so God is going to use this phrase a couple times to get them to think. And in particular, he's pointing out, have you realized that the blessings have been turned off? According to the Old Testament covenant, when they follow God, good things happen. When they don't, it doesn't, right? And so God's gonna say, have you not noticed how bad things have gotten? That when you sow, you don't harvest. When you eat, you're never full. When you drink, you're never drunk. When you put on clothing, you never get warm. Have you not realized something's wrong here, guys? Why are you just continuing in the life that you're doing? You need to come back to me. You come back to obedience, back reconciled to God. Um, And then, of course, how effective is a money bag with holes in it? I love that picture there. It's like you're, you're... just wasting your time because you've put things in the wrong order. And this is a theme that's picked up all throughout the Old Testament. You see it in Micah 6, verse 14. You will eat, but you'll not be satisfied. That's a one-to-one connection. Verse 15, you will sow, but you'll not harvest. You'll thread the olive press, but not anoint yourself with oil. You will tread out sweet wine, but you'll not drink any wine. Um, Leviticus 6, okay, your land, this is 26, verse 20, your land will not yield its produce and the trees of the land will not yield their fruit if you don't follow my commands. So he starts out Leviticus 2016 in the beginning, laying out the law. Like if you follow me, if you're obedient, I will bless you. If you don't, I will not. I will remove those blessings. Uh, Verse 26, you'll eat and not be satisfied. Verse 26, Leviticus 26. So you'll see this pattern. And Haggai is just applying scripture to their life. Do you not see 
the problem? Do you not see that you have left your first love? Do you not see that you have moved away from the will of God? Verse seven of Haggai, chapter one, he continues with this thought. The Lord of hosts says this, consider your ways within light of what we just talked about. Go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be honored, says the Lord. So he's restating what he wants them to do. Your purpose here, the reason you came back is to rebuild the temple. I need you to do that, okay? I need you to get back to following me. Do we ever do this? Put ourselves first, forget what God has called us to do? Every day, probably. And so he's reminding them, come back, consider your ways, rebuild the temple, so that why I may be pleased with it and be honored. Our goal is to glorify God, to honor him in everything we do, right? And so he's calling them back to that, um, to bring him glory, to restore the temple and restore that connection between God and his people. That's our goal. Verse nine of Haggai one, you start an ambitious project, but behold, it comes little when you bring it home. I blow it away. Why? Okay, that rhetorical question, he's gonna use that several times. Declares the Lord of hosts, it's because my house which remains desolate while each of you runs to his own house. So he's going back. You see, he's going back and forth between the command to build the temple. You don't do it. You're not following me. You, things come to ruin, okay? And he's restating that. Why has all of this gone bad? Because you're not following me. You haven't rebuilt my temple, okay? <clears throat> and I, I really appreciate it when God answers his own questions, um, that's helpful. It takes the load off of all of us, right? Why is he doing it? Because my house, which remains desolate while each of you runs to his own house. And I love that picture there, runs to their own houses, like fleeing ministry, fleeing what they're called to do. Um, do we see that elsewhere in the Old Testament where God's called a prophet to go to a people and instead he runs to Spain, <laughs> he tries to? Um, Calvin, John Calvin, he was... He, going through Geneva one day and another guy comes to him and says, hey, help us do ministry in this town. And Calvin's sense is to flee, okay? And so Martin Booster actually told him, hey, you remember the story of Jonah? Okay, if you flee ministry, it's not gonna end well for you, okay? If you free, flee what God has called you to, it's gonna end in desolation. It's gonna end in all of these things, okay? Uh, verse 10, he continues, why is it desolate? Uh, Therefore, because of you, because of not following me, because you aren't completing the temple, because you aren't following what I asked you to do, the sky has withheld its dew, the earth has withheld its produce, and I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on the ground produces, on mankind, on cattle, and all the products of your labor of your hands. That's a lot. In other words, everything because of your disobedience, everything has been touched. Notice the completeness of the destruction. The sky, the earth, the land, the mountains, the grain, uh, the grapes, the olives, the crops, the men, the cattle, all the products. Everything has been tainted because of your disobedience. You're not following me. Um, come back to me. And there's a word play here, the word desolate, when he's talking about his house being desolate, the temple being desolate, 
is just one vowel away from uh, drought. And so he's using these connections to show, you left my house deserted, you left the temple destroyed, and so I'm gonna bring about drought. And if you read it in the Hebrew, you can catch the connection that he's wanting you to see. If you don't follow me, it doesn't end well, okay? If you don't follow me, problems follow you. Does that make sense? Is that applicable to us today? I think so, okay. Um, so how are the people gonna respond? They've been called out, they've been pointed back to God, called back to follow him. Uh, what are we hoping the story ends with, this first oracle? Well, let's look in, in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, just as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by a commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So that's Haggai 1, 12 through 13. And yet again, we see all of the leaders here. We see the, uh, the governor in the line of David, Zerubbabel. We see the high priest, Joshua. And we see the remnant of the people. Will all the people follow God? Does everybody follow God? No. But will there always be a faithful remnant? Yes. That's us, right? The church. That we are the ones that are continuing to follow God. We are the ones that are continuing uh, to obey <clears throat> the remnant. And what is their response? They obeyed and showed reverence. You catch that? So they obeyed and showed reverence. They worshiped him. So it's not just behavior modification, right? It's not just the actions. It's a heart change. It is a um, reverence. It's a worship. It's an acknowledgement of God as creator. It is more than simply good actions. And that's the gospel, right? That it's more about following God than just your actions. Where is your heart? Is he, are you revering him? Are you fearing him? Is he your Lord? <clears throat> and they recognize the messenger of the Lord. They recognize the word of the Lord is coming through Haggai the prophet. Um, and then he ends, I love 13, why, this last bit of encouragement. So after telling them and reminding them of all the desolation, all the problems, the destruction of the crops, there's an encouragement here at the end. I am with you, declares the Lord. Amen. Why are they gonna be successful? It's not because of their ability. It's not because of their ingenuity. Okay, it's not because of their degrees, right? Why are they successful? God is with them. Why do they have hope? It's not because of their houses or their buildings or their wealth. It's because God is with them. I am with you. Um, which is a beautiful passage. In verse 14, it continues of chapter one. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheathiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Um, 
couple things I want to point out here. So we got all the main characters again. We got the, uh, the, the prophet, priest, and king. We got the people. We've got the remnant. But there's a slight difference here playing off of that reverence. It's not just actions. He stirred up the spirit. Does God want worship in spirit and in truth? Yes. And so it's the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua, the spirit of the people it is more than just following the actions. It's more than just behavior modification. It's more than just having a checklist, right, and doing the task. It's following with all of your heart, stirring up the spirit, okay, stirring up the spirit of the people. And they began to work on the temple. So God uses Haggai to encourage them to get back to the work. We need to do the work of the Lord. Let's get back to the building of the temple, Okay, so has he accomplished what he set out to accomplish? Are they working on the temple again? Why doesn't the book end there? Is the work ever done? I think we talked about this with Ezra and Nehemiah. There's still more work to do. First off, can you start with excitement on a project and then over time it kind of diminishes? You get tired, you just get distracted. They'll face some opposition. And so we're gonna see him encourage them to continue in chapter two. Um, And then the temple is only part of the deal. We also need to make sure that we fill the temple with the people of God. And so he's gonna work on some of that. And then he's gonna provide some encouragement for the future. So that's the building of the temple. Now let's move into chapter two, looking at the second oracle and the future of the temple. Okay, the future of the temple because one of the reasons they start to lose motivation is they realize no matter how hard they work or how much they build, this second temple is not gonna be as beautiful as the first. And we'll see that that's one of their frustrations, that what they expected, what they wanted to see isn't going to happen. And so Haggai is going to address that here in a second. So um, let's look at the second oracle in chapter two. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet saying, so you get that phrase again, right? So you know that this is a new section. Speak now to Zerubbabel and to Joshua and to the remnant of the people saying, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory and how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? So Haggai realizes that there might be some frustration that their expectations of what the ministry was gonna be is not quite what they thought, what the temple's gonna look like isn't the same as what Solomon did. And he's gonna address that here in a second. And so the people are seeking, having opposition, they're losing that initial excitement and they're discouraged. Looking back at the good old days, we see a similar situation when they laid the foundation of the temple in Ezra. This is something we covered in the Ezra Nehemiah series, Ezra 3, 10 through 13. Now, when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their parallel trumpets, the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David. And they sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, it is good, favors upon Israel forever. And the people shouted with great shouts of joy and praised the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid. Yet, verse 12, Ezra 3, Many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted for joy. So does ministry change over time? Yes. 
Is there a reason these guys are crying, seeing this new temple, knowing it can never be to the same status as Solomon? Um, Part of the reason I wanted to do this is I think about the evening service and all the changes that have happened. And this has been my home since 2003. And I can remember when this service was over 1,000 people. It was the largest service in DBC. And so it's very tempting to look back and say, and cry, to think about what could have been what was. And so Haggai's gonna address that. How do we move forward? What is the hope? Is this service, and it's going away, like what is the future? Just like here, they're looking at the temple. What's the future of the temple if it can't be like Solomon's temple? What is that gonna look like? And so it, it's lit, having out this, this rhetorical question to get their attention and to make them to start to think. And so verse four, he's gonna address this. Now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, and all you people of the land, take courage. Shall I catch that, the repetition? What does he keep telling them? Take courage. Things can get hard sometimes, Right? Things don't go the way we plan. Things don't turn out like we expect. Take courage, declares the Lord, and the work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. He's using that phrase again. Who's in charge? Who's sovereign? Who's in control of everything? God. As for the promise which I made from you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Do not fear. Notice he individually addresses each group, tells them to take courage. This is in line with the rest of the Old Testament, every time he calls someone to do action, he's, uh, he'll tell them to take courage or be courageous, right? He'll say that over and over again when Joshua is going into the, to the land, be courageous and go up. And he's doing that here, be courageous. The temple isn't going to be like Solomon's. However, I am with you and that's what's important, right? The promise which I made, verse five of chapter two of Haggai, for the promise I made when you when I came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Do not fear. So what's the key? Does it matter if the building isn't what we want it to be? No, it's God in our midst. God coming to us. And he's echoing the pictures that you have in the Exodus of God's presence with his people. The burning bush, the pillar of cloud, the cloud on Mount Sinai that descends, the giving of the law, the tabernacle in the midst of the people in the center as they travel, and then the temple as it's filled with the presence of God. God is with us in all of this. It doesn't matter the building, it doesn't matter the situation, it doesn't matter where. If you're in the people of God, God is with us. He is, his spirit remains in your midst. And as New Testament believers, the spirit remains in us is an even more beautiful picture of God's presence. And so God makes them a promise. So this is Haggai chapter two, verse six. For this is what the Lord of hosts says. Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and also the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. As great as ministry is now, the future is better when Christ returns. When are the nations put under his feet? When do all the nations 
bow to Christ at the end. That's coming, okay? It can get discouraging now, right? It can get sad to see things come and go. It can get hard sometimes to continue in ministry. But there is a time when he will shake the heavens and the earth, when he will shake all the nations, and he will bring the nations to himself. Uh, A great picture of this is Revelation 21, 25 through 27, talking about the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth, the new... um, New Jerusalem, in the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring, they, the, the nations, they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and practice abomination of lying will ever be unto it, but those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So is there a time when we'll have God's presence completely? When there'll be a new Jerusalem where all the nations bow? Yes. So it doesn't matter how discouraging it is in the moment, look to the future. And that's Haggai's encouragement to these guys. I know you can get sad looking back, but let's look forward at Christ. Let's look forward to the end when uh, revelation, when Christ returns. Um, Verse eight, the silver and gold is mine. So he even reminds them, like Solomon, all his wealth still wasn't as wealthy as God, who ultimately owns everything. So our job isn't necessarily to fill the temple. He's gonna do that himself. Our job is to be faithful to what God has called and he delights in using us for his ministry and his purposes. So we've seen the building of the temple, the future of the temple, and now the people of the temple. Um, Oracle three, on the 24th of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, the Lord of the host, yet again, the Lord of hosts, it's used over and over and over again, now ask the priest for a ruling. If someone carries holy meat, the fold of his garment, touches a bread with his fold, or touches cooked food, wine, oil, or any of food, will it become holy? And the priest answered no. And then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these things, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answers, it will become unclean. He's using that rhetorical question device to talk about the uncleanness of the people. So verse 14, so it is with this people, And so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. On our own, do we have anything really to offer God? Are we all sinners? Are we all messed up? Are we all unclean? Yes. And our only hope is something else, someone else in this case. Um, And Haggai's reminding them, and he's also calling them kind of in this passage to be holy as God is holy. Uh, And he's using these two questions, these connections to the priests as an illustration of the uncleanness of the people. And then he continues in verse 15, but now do consider from this day onward before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord. From that time when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there'd be only 10. And when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, they'd be only 20. I struck you, yet again, because of their sin, because of their uncleanness, because of their disobedience, I struck you, verse 17, and every worker of your hands was scorching wind, mildew, and hail, and yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Did you not get my message? (laughs) Did you not? 
he see the problem? Verse 18, do not consider from this day onward from the 24th day of the ninth month, the day of the temple of the Lord was found. Consider 19, verse 19. Is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree? It has not produced fruit yet, which I love that. Yet, from this day on, I will bless you. Have they really done anything to deserve blessing? Not really. They're unclean, right? He just went through all of that to make sure you got caught that. That they're deserving of death, right? They're deserving of punishment. They're deserving of the lack of blessings. But yet, I will bless you. Verse 19. Grace is wonderful. That God can put favor on us despite the fact that we don't deserve anything and bless us. To send us his son to die for us, we don't deserve anything at all, but yet from this day on, I will bless you. So that's the people of the temple. <laughs> We're not always the best, right? We're not always the most attractive or the most outgoing. Some of us, you know, some of us have rough backgrounds. Some of us may still have roughness that we're working on, but yet God includes them. Uh, Oracle four, the leader. So he's going to now turn his attention to just to Zerubbabel. Okay, so we've looked at okay the calling to rebuild the temple. Um, we've looked at the future of the temple that eventually God brings all under his feet until we the end where we have the new heavens, the new earth. Uh, the people of the temple and finally the leader of the temple. Verse 20 of chapter two, then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, speak, saying, speak to Zerubbabel, saying, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Y'all recognize that phrase? It's tying back to a previous oracle, the, also using the language of the day of the Lord, the, the future Messiah coming. And I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of kingdoms and the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. On that day, verse 23 of Haggai 2, on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you Zerubbabel, Son of Sheathiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Yet again, using Haggai's favorite phrase, Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, who's in control, who's sovereign, who's gonna win, God. So this message is looking for that Messiah, that the line of David, that someone will come in the line of David who ultimately leads to the destruction of the kingdoms, leads to our salvation. And of course, who is he pointing to? Who's gonna be the descendant of Zerubbabel who will have that signet ring, who will be the Messiah, who will be the leader, who will be the king and be the one over all powers? Who's he looking forward to ultimately? Jesus. Okay, so what's our hope? Notice the temple is kind of in the background, but now he's moved to the real hope. And that's the Messiah, the return, okay? The line of David, the Zerubbabel, okay? And so if you go to Matthew 1, you see Zerubbabel in the line of David. Matthew traces him all the way back, um, partly out of this thing, this day of the Lord. 
So conclusion, what can us as New Testament believers take from this message that was pointed to the people of God uh, with Haggai, all right, in 520? It's been a few years. It's a big gap of time between us and them. Is there any connections? Well, first, we too need to be building up the temple. But for us, what is the temple now that Christ has come? What's the temple? Is it a physical building? No. What is it? It's us, right? It's the church. It's the body of Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The Ephesians passage, right? This is where the connection is. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, so you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone with whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So just like Haggai and the people he's talking to, do we still have a job? Do we still have, are we still being called to build the temple? Yes, it's here, it's with each other, it's in fellowship, it's uh, being fitted together into the dwelling of God in the spirit. And just like God promised through Haggai to be with his people, remember Haggai, uh, I am with you in, verse, in chapter one, <clears throat> uh, we have that also in the New Testament, right? That Christ is with us. Matthew 28, Great Commission, I'm sure you all know. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. So just like the temple during Haggai was built, really, God's the one that did it through his people, and he is with them. It's his power. It's the same with us as we build up the church, right? That we do it under his power, under his authority, with him uh, to the end of the age. Uh, Number two, future of the temple, uh, better things are yet to come. Um, we still have something to look forward to, don't we? When Christ returns to that ultimate victory. Um, Christ has come, the Messiah has come. He's the very essence and purpose of the Old Testament temple is fulfilled in him. We've been reconciled. We now have the presence of God, which was the, the whole point of the temple, to have those sacrifices that reconciled the people with God. And then Christ is the fulfillment of all of that, right? He is the fulfillment of the law. Colossians 1, 19 through 20, for it is the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. So we don't need a building. We don't need the sacrifices. That hope that Haggai had, the hope that the people in the Old Testament had has been fulfilled in Christ. And he's coming back, okay? And there's more to come. Good things are around the corner. Good things are coming. Um, 
three people of the temple, we're called to be holy, just like the people of the Old Testament are called to be holy. Second uh, Corinthians six sixteen through 18, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, and do not touch what is unclean. Christ has reconciled us with God. We have declared righteous through faith, right, through his actions. And now we are clean. And we are called to be holy as he is holy. And then finally, uh, the leader of the people had touched on this. The Messiah has come and is coming again. Amen. It's a beautiful book to read through as we think about the future. Um, to honor what has come in the past, but also be excited about what can the future be. Um, So let let me pray and we'll close. Lord, I just thank you for everyone who is here and their dedication to you, Lord, their service for years in the evening service and at Den Bible and and their devotion to the ministry, Lord. And um, as we celebrate the evening service, as we look back, on all the good things that have happened here, Lord. I pray that that's not what we're relying on, that's not what we get stuck in, but we're constantly thinking about the future. How can we continue to build up the temple? How can we continue to build up the body of Christ? How can we continue to do what we've been called to by you as we move forward, Lord? I just thank you so much for everyone in this room, Lord. Just pray that you're with us in your name, amen.